Hello and welcome to the coolest kids. I am one of your hosts, Terrence Wiggins, joined by your other hosts. One of them, Brock Wilbur. And joined by our guest. Zach, that's your prompt. Hi, Zach Heltzel. <laughs> Hello. And this week, we are going to be talking about Jimmy Eat World, but not the one you're thinking of. Not uh, for true emo fans, we're not talking about clarity. And for anyone else, we're not talking about Bleed American. We're going to be talking about Jimmy Eat World's Futures. Which, which, which we all I've, agree now is the best album. Uh, it, yeah. Um, I haven't listened to this album probably in eight, eight-ish years. Um, but I listened to it today. And, like, the weird thing is, uh, over the past year, I've listened to, like, some tracks off Bleed American. Uh, just on a playlist. And I was just like, eh. Like, I really like the first half of the album. And, but there are some songs on Bleed America where I'm just like, eh, this isn't so great. This isn't like, it, it kind of, it's kind of all over the place in some areas. And then, uh, uh, you guys wanted to do futures and I was just like, sure. So I listened to it today and this is a super solid album. Like it, it's, uh, it's almost the difference between Weezer's, uh, blue album and Pinkerton with how how it sort of changes g- genre kind of yeah you can hear that gil norton producer versus their previous producer really changing how the band sounds <laughs> i have no idea who that man is uh mark mark trombino was the, the was the producer on their on their first whole batch of albums and uh, he was supposed to be the producer on this album and then they got a guy who basically is known for making foo fighters what they sound like <laughs> ah okay and i think yeah, you can I'm, hear that pr- pretty right off the bat <laughs> Right, I'm looking. I'm looking at. Uh, I'm looking at his like, his whole discography of helping of uh, of producing albums, and it's just like, yeah, yeah, this makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, there's a lot of the Pixies, um, Delamitri, if you don't remember, if you remember, uh, uh, Roll to Me, Zach. <laughs> yeah. That was your prompt. <laughs> I I don't know what's going on, you guys. All I know is that I love this album and have been singing its praises for years, and everybody <laughs> looks at me like I'm a moron, and now I feel very uh, vindicated by the first three minutes of this podcast where you guys finally admit that it is the best Jimmy Eat World album <laughs> and one of the best emo albums of the 2000s. Hi, yeah, weirdly, your work here is done already. That's why we didn't need, we didn't need to bring you in for anything. <laughs> Also, normally it's that it's a uh, it's uh, Terrence that sounds like he needs a nap, and today it's Zach. It's it's Zach's nap day. Look, daylight <laughs> savings time is really messing me up, guys. <laughs> you're, you're so fragile, Zach. I think that's what I appreciate most about you. I, I'm just a little Fabergé egg of a human being. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Like, did you did you like this album when it first came out? Did it like really hit you when it first came out, or was this like a a later sort of no? This was discovery. This album, I remember when it came out. I remember that uh, "Work" was the first single, and Mm -hmm. I didn't particularly like that song, but I Mm -hmm. still bought the album anyway, and was just immediately transfixed by it. I was like twelve when it came out. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, 
everything is the greatest thing of all time when you're 12 years old, but, uh, mm-hmm. like, I remember listening to, you know, a couple tracks on this album, and they're just, like, perfect, like, run around your room and, like, knock stuff over but not break it. And then there are other tracks later on in the album, like 23 and Night Drive, that are just like, turn off the lights, turn down the AC, get under your blanket, and just kind of sob music. And this, this, this album works on both levels so well, and has also aged very well, because I still do both of those things to it now as a uh, 25-year-old. So. I like imagining you running around pulling things down, but making sure that they don't break. Like, you've just nerfed your entire apartment. <laughs> just, like, pushing over... I imagine, like, pushing over a giant vase, but, like, also, like, sort of gingerly, just, like, uh, 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 to the ground. <laughs> I'm I'm one of those people who, like, hits pillows up against a wall, because you can't really break a pillow, and you can't really break a wall with a pillow, but you get that, like, visceral sensation of breaking things. Mm-hmm. Your entire brand developing here as a all capital letters fragile boy uh, is is going to take the internet by storm. Yeah, I think it's the natural evolution from the sad boy. Which yeah, is the, I'm playing the out. Boy. And I'm kind of having to rebrand. What does what does a song like "Drugs or Me" feel like when you're 12? <laughs> um, you kind of just get swept up in the tone of it. Yeah rather than, you know, the context. <laughs> and you, I haven't like, lost you any consciously friends yet. register that the, uh, you know, the title of the song is an ultimatum, and you understand, basically, what that ultimatum um, is about. But at the same time, you're like, ah, oh, this is above my pay grade. I don't have to think about it on this level. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, like, it's... When you're 12 and you hear drugs, you're just like, drugs? Like marijuana? <laughs> like, this guy's singing about weed. Look, I was fragile but not naive. I understood from a very <laughs> early age that the uh, Third Eyed Blind song at the beginning of the Pokemon movie was uh, absolutely about drugs. <laughs> was, was that really in the Pokemon movie? Yeah, Semi Charm Life is, I believe, oh. the opening song to Pokemon the Movie 2000. Oh, I didn't see that one. And so. I was like nine years old when I saw that movie, and I was immediately like, I want something out else to get me through this Semi Charm kind of life. Is not, I know what he's <laughs> talking about. I understand, and I'm weirded out by it. Well, that's just like in the Digimon movie, at least in the American dub, they use so many, like, uh, uh, bare naked lady songs. And it's just like, hey, is that the song where he talks about how big Sailor Moon's breasts are? Boy. Man. American dubbing in the early 2000s was not, was not anything that anyone needs to go back to. But no, I had, I, when this album first came out, like, I don't know why I didn't listen to it. Like, I I didn't even hear work first. I'd first heard uh, pain, and I like that song, but I don't think it didn't really sound like Bleed American. So I was just like, I don't know. So I just never really gave it another. Sh- I, I mean, I listened to it again, but like this time listening to it, I was just like, oh, this is actually a really good album, and it's way better than Bleed American. Like Bleed American, sort of like. Like, after you get past, like, the first five songs, like, I feel like the album kind of goes everywhere without finding, like, a sort of theming or a, or a, 
or a, a like a, a tone to how the rest of the album is supposed to sound. So you get you get weird stuff like uh, "Get It Faster" and the Authority song, which sound like two completely different bands. I think "Bleed American" and why it's remembered so well and was such a big hit at the time is that it's just an album of singles. It doesn't really mm, appear yes. in any way. It's you know it's a very good album because that's a lot of very good individual tracks. But right. It has no point of view. It's just a popular album from a popular group at the time. You would say uh, it's aiming for the middle? A very... Shut up. Shut up. Brock, I'm not going to dignify <laughs> that with a response, but yes. Fine, we'll go back to talking about the Pokemon soundtrack and how Billy Piper made her debut on there before getting into Doctor Who. What? Yeah, Billy Piper was a pop star before she got on Doctor Who, and her song is on the Pokemon soundtrack. Man, we're just really revealing some Pokemon soundtrack secrets for you tonight. That's that's just what this podcast needed. Po- Pokemon, Pokemon secrets. Pokemon movie 2000s. <laughs> yeah, that's just um, the ultimate Brock Wilbur beat. <laughs> Billy Piper's uh, involvement with the Pokemon movie pre-Doctor Who is just the intersection of all things I know about <laughs> Brock Wilbur. Would you say it's, it's in the middle? Stop it. <laughs> no. <coughs> no, the TV show on ABC that's been running for like nine years. Would you say that's the middle? Ah! It was that was a walk. That took a it was a long way to get there. Um and that's what I was when I was saying uh like you're the first uh, Bleed American, not the first album. Uh, Bleed American sounds like a album of singles. That's kind of the comparison that I was making with uh, the Blue uh, Weezer's Blue album, which also just kind of sounds like a album of singles. Like it sounds like it was meant to be played on the radio, while Pinkerton is just like this sort of raw, like I'm drunk in college sounding album. Um, but this this definitely sounds. Like futures is like so more mature, so much more mature sounding than anything they've done before. It's it's weird. It's almost like they're a different band at this point. It's a really messy, complicated work. Um, I don't know if you, uh, if either of you listen to the demos that are on the futures deluxe edition, but uh, there's some of the tracks are very different than what ended up on the album. And it just goes all over the place, but it's really fascinating to go and listen to those to kind of see what got kept and what got changed from the demo versions to what's eventually on the album. Um, A lot of themes are, you know, twisted around and like there's individual lyrics that end up in another track from the one it was originally meant in. And it's just... It gives a lot of context to just how raw and emotional and just kind of messy the emotional state of mind um, that is being expressed through these songs is. Yeah. It's it's a weird, just like I think Pinkerton is kind of a weird album in the um, oeuvre of Weezer. <laughs> God, those yeah. words I did not want to put together and nobody ever <laughs> should again. <laughs> The Oeuvre of Weezer is my favorite uh, series from the AV Club. Um, 
but yeah, it's uh, it also when I was listening to it, it also reminded me of um, Mushroom City soundtracks. Even if it kills me, like oh yes, and, yes, they are and, sister albums completely. Right, uh, and it like even how like everyone loved um, "Commit This to Memory," which I love that album like uh, front to back. But the way people appreciate uh, uh, "Bleed American" is the same way people appreciate uh, "Commit This to Memory," um, and I really think like this definitely sounds like an older album. Like while while "Commit This to Memory" and "Bleed American" kind of sound like just out of high school ish music like this sounds like an adult made it i guess uh even though there were adults who made this if that makes any sense i'm not trying to demean them in the way that it sounds but it it definitely has like a high school like early college feel to it like it'd be played at any party uh in american pie or something even no, though... i think that's absolutely right i think that commit this to memory and bleed american are both like rock band albums that are meant to be listened to by teenagers for fun. Right. uh, Even if it kills me in futures are just like these emotional roller coasters that from track to track go from like fun, uh, especially in the case of even if it kills me, like there are tracks on that album that are downright euphoric. Right. And it just like bums you the hell out. (laughs) Yes. Very much like, yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, even if it kills me, like, has, like, album, uh, has, like, a song about meeting his wife. It's not, like, about being nervous about girls anymore. It's just, like, I'm moving on with my life. Like, there's a song about, like, breaking up at a party uh, and, and reminiscing about the first time you met and all this stuff. And it's, like, it's such a strange, it's such a strange, like, shift from the last album. And I think that's why people don't care for these albums very much because like anyone who would be i don't know we're all and within a 10-year period of each other like anyone uh, that would listen to these albums when they first came out aren't gonna be like when the next album came out they're not gonna that's not what they're looking for i guess i think a more well-received version of this trajectory is uh something corporate moving into jack's mannequin (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, so well, uh, corporate's just very much like a, you know, a commit this to memory or bleed American, and then Jack's mannequin is just this like emotional roller coaster with like an arc, right? And people liked that a lot more, but I think maybe because of you know the change in name, kind of the right. change in like the brand, but uh, yeah, those the Motion City soundtrack album, the Jimmy Eat World album. Jack's Mannequins, Everything in Transit. Um, they're all albums that I could imagine being turned into like stage musicals mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they have these arcs from like happy to sad to like cathartic, and they're like telling the story from track to track. And I just think it's kind of fun how these uh, influential emo artists from like the early 2000s, as they reached like 2005, 2006, started trying to tell these i wouldn't call them concept albums but uh tried to evolve up into like this rung of like telling a story with their work and then it just kind of gets it lands with a "Eh." right yeah yeah and um 
I, I just want to go back to Jack's mannequin. Uh, <laughs> Jack's mannequin. I didn't even know that was the guy from something corporate when I first heard Jack's mannequin. Uh, I just knew like every white girl that I knew just like loved Jack's mannequin. And then like people I tell now, I was like, Hey, have you ever heard of something corporate? That was the band he was in before. And they were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Andrew McMahon is a manny, a manic pixie dream bay. And uh, <laughs> he just sort of, uh... the original fragile boy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. On, on account of his cancer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you seen his uh, documentary about that narrated by uh, Tommy d- Lee? Was that the one that played on MTV? Probably. It's I on I Netflix that. now. It's, you know, it's a it's a good 70 minutes. That was a that was a whole lot of sentence you said an Andrew McMahon documentary about the cancer he had narrated by Tommy Lee. Like <laughs> Why would you get Tommy Lee to narrate anything? Well, what Tommy, is... Tommy Lee actually began in the medical industry. Uh... <laughs> I was like, I'm waiting for this joke. Like, I know he's going to say something, and I'm going to walk off the show. <laughs> uh, the real answer, the non-joke answer, is that Tommy Lee sort of like discovered him and was like a mentor to him when he was like 17. I have so many more questions now. This is not <laughs> right. That didn't help in any way. What, what, yeah, that, I that raises even... more questions than answers, and I don't have much more to offer beyond that. But uh... yes. he was he was mentored by the man who appeared in the video for "Get Naked" while he went on. Uh, well, uh, uh, Andrew McMahon went on to write uh, "I Kissed a Drunk Girl." I just can't just... imagine the two of them having a conversation about anything. It doesn't seem like the two of them share a reality. Like Tommy right. Lee would be like, you know what I did last night? Let's start here. It starts with some fake tits, and then Andrew McMahon would be like, I don't know what any of that means. Like, <laughs> uh, the the band, the band that Tommy Lee formed to do the song <laughs> "Get Naked" was called Methods of Mayhem. I I saw them perform at a at an all day radio show, uh, and they brought out. Uh, uh, the remaining surviving members of Alice in Chains to play Man in the Box with Tommy Lee on drums. I was very confused as to why Alice in Chains was hanging out with Mayhem, but hey, there there they are. Uh, Oh, the thing I remember most about them is that they had a keyboard player uh, in Mayhem that... uh, they were like, well, what are you going to do with the keyboard player? We can't give him a keytar to run around the stage. What are we going to do that will make what he's doing interesting? So they put the keyboard on a giant spring, like at a, pra- at a playground or something. So the keyboard would just bounce from side to side, but still sort of in one place. But he would just uh, pull the keyboard back and then release it. It would go springing back and forth on this giant curly cube spring. And I was like, it looks... It looks so childish. It looks like you'd be at McDonald's play place, but you've got this tattooed guy trying to show that he's playing a chord, but he is really putting some effort into that that synth chord. They were a great band, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and J- this is where Andrew McMahon got his start. What in the world? That's his woods. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Uh, that does a lot to. Uh, there's too much happening already. Um, 
so so futures um the song that like like when, when i first started off the album i was just like oh like this I, like i liked it like from the start but then like the more it went on i was just like this is a it's a really good album like by the time i got to like uh drugs or me i was just like oh like this is this is a why don't more people talk about this album? Like, what happened? Like, it's not like Jimmy Eat World, like, took, like, five or six years to release an album. This came out three years after uh, Bleed American came out. So it was like, they were still... They were still around. They were still popular. But it just it never it never broke through the way it should. And that's kind of a... It's kind of a real shame. Like, it went gold. It went gold in the U.S., yeah, I mean, it did well. There's like three or four tracks on it that I would hear play on the uh, alternative station um, mm-hmm. where I'm from, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, which is where Jimmy Eat World's from. They're from Mesa. Um, so they, but I'm a little biased because, you know, they play local artists more, especially if they like achieved a modicum of success. So mm-hmm. in my perception Jimmy Eat World was popular probably three albums later than uh, the rest of the country <laughs> thought they were popular uh, but from my you know little teen boy uh, vantage point this album was a success but you know I don't know things right right I mean it like it 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 charted like it uh it golden golden Canada silver in the UK gold in the US but it's it was like I feel like it was wasn't really talked about. Like I remember people being excited about pain, like hearing that song. But it uh, like I don't I don't feel like it had the staying power. But mostly because you probably couldn't play it. Like it's not an album you could play at a party and people would be like, yes, I'm down to hear this. Yeah, you definitely can't uh, bop in the car to the world you love. I can, but other people probably <laughs> can't. <laughs> Such a tender, sweet little song. Right, um, yeah, it, and I feel like it—it's almost the the same thing with a lot of bands that sort of moved on after their first album, like like people who uh, who only listen to brand new's Deja and Tendu, and then they go and hear the Devil and God, and it's just like this isn't even the same band. This is a this is a this is a trek through depression, is what this is. Uh, or or like even on a lower scale, like Jimmy Eat World and Motion City soundtrack, even Taking Back Sunday changes up their sound eventually, and uh, it's it's just a it, it says something about uh, I guess fans of of early two thousands emo like not really like late nineties and late nineties and stuff. I feel like late nineties like second wave stuff like we talked like promise ring and stuff like that already dealt with semi heavy stuff while a lot of the early two thousands didn't in a way, at least the popular stuff didn't. Uh, it just, it was just like sad kid music for people who didn't want to hear pop punk. I have a theory about this and I feel like (laughs) rock in particular will appreciate it that the rise and fall of these bands that were very popular and influential in the early two thousands and, sort of, you know, faded away in the mid to late part of the decade was because of the rise and fall of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater franchise. Like, you are not wrong. <laughs> You're like, I distinctly remember hearing Pain in a Tony 
Hawk game, and then Tony Hawk games kind of ceased to have cultural cachet, and then Genie Eat World albums got to be my little thing that I got to have while um, <laughs> my friends on their MySpace profiles were playing things like 303, and I would just like exclude myself from the narrative. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, now I'm just having... I remember when 303 came out and like they were at Warped Tour, and I was just like, this is this sucks. <laughs> this sucks a whole lot. I've, I've really um, not known how to pronounce the name until right now. <laughs> yeah, so it's a Denver area code. They're very proud about being from Colorado. Uh, yes, D- uh, Denver, the, the, the birthplace of... Hip hop. Yeah. Well, when you look at the country, it's right in in the middle. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> well, Brock, don't you don't you live in Kansas City? The literal middle of the country. Brock? Yeah. I, li- I live on the state line, which, as you know, is uh, vertical. Yeah, you are literally in um, Jimmy Eat World dash the middle dot mp three. <laughs> as as we all downloaded that song on LimeWire parentheses a little bit right uh excuse me my brother he bought the album so I just burned I just ripped it from him thank you very much look I would um, buy the albums and also <laughs> download them like, <laughs> uh you were easy. talking about you were talking about Tony Hawk and uh the last like Tony Hawk game that I actually played was uh, Tony Hawk's American Wasteland, and uh, for that for that game they had a bunch of like post hardcore and emo bands uh, cover like punk songs from the seventies and eighties. So you got like My Chemical Romance doing uh, well, they're not really a emo band, uh, and I don't I won't argue this with anybody. But they did Astro Astro Zombies, Fall Out Boy did Start Today, Take It Back Sunday. Like it's Take Back Sunday, Thrice, Alkaline Trio, Rise Trio, Trio, <laughs> Rise Against, Thursday, Dropkick Murphys, Saves a Day, Census Fail, From Mom to Ashes, Emmanuel to Bled, and Hot Snakes. And it's just like all these bands did different covers for like these these uh, late seventies, uh, early eighties sort of uh, punk bands, and that your theory about these bands no longer having that venue uh to 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 have their music out there is really sound look you just sent me into a post-traumatic stress flashback of putting a faceplate <laughs> on my launch xbox 360 uh, <laughs> as uh, tony hawk's american wasteland was one of the two games i bought at launch uh yeah there was a the fall of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater franchise uh, coincided with the rise of MySpace profile uh, songs, and it's just such a clear transition from, and I mean, MCR sort of made that transition, it just happened to be the right band for the right time, Um, whether or not they count as emo, um, look, I've been to two emo nights in my life, and one was just like all MCR, and the other one, we danced to the entirety of Brand New's Daisy, uh, two very different evenings. Uh, that, that you can't, you cannot dance with that album. That is a oh, watch you me, are, Terrence. Watch you are you are asking for a bad night. 
Like you don't you don't go home with anybody that night. That's first rule of fragile boys. Fragile boys fragile boys can dance to Daisy. That's how you can tell them apart. I've even looking at like the the later Tony Hawk soundtracks, like when they started going down like Proving Ground, and it's just like it's like a lot of hip hop and like rock, but there's no like bands that 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 you would hear on this show i guess um i guess like smashing pumpkins and and foo fighters and stuff like that and it's like uh like i remember the tony hawk tony hawk introduced me to Millen Colin, like when uh tony hawk four two i think it was two um two had uh Millen Colin on there and like it was sort of like this uh this gateway into music that I'd never heard before which was which was neat look the Tony Hawk games and uh, EA tracks are two of the most important uh, bellwethers of pop culture in the um, first decade of the 21st century and I'm sad that they no longer have cultural import yeah no that it, that actually kind of really sucks a lot because uh, I remember hearing uh, I remember hearing thrice. I remember hearing thrice and brand new on Burnout, uh, Burnout Paradise, and like that was. I thought that was awesome because I was just like, "Hey, this band I really like is in a game that I actually like." Like that's that's real weird. Brock, do you have thoughts on this as the uh, video game connoisseur of note in my uh, sphere of influence? I have the American Wasteland CD in my car right now. Jesus. I can't I can't weigh in. I found it in my house, so <laughs> have you ever listened to it? Yeah. Yeah, when they cover Black Flag, boy, that's when I drive that truck fast. This is a bit of an aside, but I just have to ask because I ask anybody whenever I'm talking about music. Um Is it okay that uh the cover of Boys of Summer mentions a black flag sticker on a cadillac is that fine are we allowed to be okay (laughs) with this that it happened fragile boys can be can be can be fine with anything you're not you're not here to break anything (laughs) just like as a as a uh as a wannabe boy of summer i don't know if i can abide by uh the ataris making such a uh sacrilegious uh decision with their interpretation of don henley (laughs) <laughs> you're, you're dancing to Daisy, man. I don't think you need to weigh in on Don. <laughs> okay. Just needed, to, just needed to clear the air there. You, you have your area of specialty. Okay. That answers my question. <laughs> I have no, I have no weight. Uh, I have no, I have nothing in this fight of Don Henley and the Alkaline Trios. That's my, that's my new cover band, Don Henley and the Alkaline Trios. <laughs> It would be such a good jazz group. <laughs> can, can we can we discuss how Bleed American got changed to self-titled because of 9-11? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that, like, very specifically because my brother bought it. And then, like, I remember seeing it in stores. And I was just like, why is this? I was like, this album's called Bleed American. And I remember, like, putting the CD into my computer. And it was just like, Jimmy Eat World. And I was just like, this album has a name. <laughs> like. No, no, we don't have names anymore, but we have patriotism. <laughs> Jimmy, World, Jimmy World's new album, Freedom Fries. 
So are, are you, around this time, uh, like post 9-11, uh, national radio syndicates, uh, the, the government passed this list of like, do not play songs on the radio. And Bleed American was in that camp, uh, which was one of the reasons that they changed the album name, because uh, otherwise all their stuff would have been taken off the radio. But uh, there were uh, all these songs that were banned. A lot of them were like uh, Rage Against the Machine songs or, or System of a Down thing, like things that were politically motivated, I guess, that didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have dangerous messages. Uh, but mm-hmm. they uh, they banned the song Jumper by uh, Third Eye Blind, but not the song Jump by Van Halen or or, or Jump Jump, the, the classic hip-hop track. I was just like, the idea that People jumping out of a building has banned us from the concept of jump as a verb uh, because it's politically. I, I I just remember spiraling out of control when I found that out in in like high school. Just like the the list of the things here that we're not allowed to to sing along to is suddenly and and they just seem like somebody's dad just threw darts at his his dartboard of things that he didn't like. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a uh, that's real stupid. Um. Especially the Jimmy World thing, because, like, who's gonna... I would say who's gonna see that, but, like, I don't know how many, like, fucking patriotic songs came out within, like, a week of 9-11. They were just like, don't mess with America. And, any like, if anyone even said anything, if there was, like, a slightly negative word in front of American or America, somebody would have lost their entire minds. So. Right. What do I know? I thought that song for probably three years was titled Sugar on the Asphalt because nobody would ever say the words Bleed American on the radio. That song. <laughs> so they're just like, that was Jimmy Eat World, now on to the rice. Um, <laughs> I do want to have a radio station that plays thrice. I've never experienced such a thing. I would say, uh, when, um, Vesu came out, uh, uh, Image of the Invisible would play bare every once in a while. Um, cause I, I was, I was a radio intern, uh, at the time and, or at least like around the time that album came out when that was their main album and it would come on like every once in a while, thrice would come on or Thursday would come on. It would be like once a month and I was just like, oh man. Something, something that's not the same, uh, the same 10 Evanescence songs or the same Evanescence song 10 times. And, oh man, I don't have to hear soul meets body again. (laughs) People love that song. It's not even death cab's best song or anywhere close to it. Yes. I'm talking about death cab for the second week in a row. Look, death cab exists in this rare territory where their most popular work is also their least good but it's also still very good so i can't hey that's what we say on this show death cab it's fine right yeah we we're, we're just talking really about good death cab but it's like kind of the deeper cuts but you also like don't want to be the jerk to tell people like hey you like this song you should like this song more because the song that they like is also good enough yeah, that's 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 my whole feeling about Death Cab, where it's just like they're good. It's good enough, but I feel like it doesn't go beyond that. I, like, I really like Transatlanticism, and I feel like anything after that doesn't quite reach that, and it's just good enough. Like, it's not terrible, but it's just good enough. Look, I think 
listening to the like 10 minute version of I Will Possess Your Heart while driving to work at like 5.30 in the morning in December when it's pitch black outside <laughs> and it's like cold in your car, it is perfect. <laughs> it is perfect for that specific purpose. Just that, just that song is, for that for that moment in time, that's what it's good for. I, especially this genre of music that like Jimmy Eat World and Death Cab for Cutie inhabit, I sort of judge based on like, could I put this into a sequence of like movies or television? And if it has like that certain emotionality that would like enhance, you know, somebody like driving and they have this glimmer in their eye and it tells you so much, uh, like Death Cab and uh, Jimmy Eat World's futures in particular, I don't think Bleed American and I don't think their subsequent work uh, works quite as well on this level that uh, you can just like put these songs in like the last scene of a TV show uh, before the next episode and it would just be like, oh, like it, they passed the Grey's Anatomy <laughs> test. Right. Uh, that show in particular is just a masterful use of we're going to put a song in here and like have it like substitute for writing. <laughs> uh yeah um like i remember um i think van wilder has two jimmy world songs in it it does that movie is just a like super cut of jimmy eat world songs it's like bleed american and uh never hear you me yep. which i i don't like that song <laughs> um and I like I don't know I, I don't I don't I that don't. movie that movie's very complicated to watch now because I it gave us oh, Ryan man. Reynolds it is a yeah. terrific lead performance it is a terrific breakout performance it is such and all movies like that have aged so badly with like current cultural and social mores that right. you can't watch it but it also is like significant as like a cultural relic and it's really hard to like know what to do with it yeah i was just thinking i was just like man there's so many bad things in that movie that, uh, uh i need to go back and watch not another teen movie now that has aged well anthony okay. michael dining hall is the funniest joke of any movie <laughs> like i like from that decade I was gonna say, uh, uh, not another teen movie. Like, whole, I feel like holds up a lot better because it knew what it was skewing, and it like it didn't, it didn't make fun of, it didn't make fun of like the the part about the black guy, uh, like talking about stereotypes where he's just like, hey, I look, I literally just want people to consider me like just a regular person. Like, I'm not trying to, I, I'm not something. Like I'm not extraordinary to them. Like I'm just like everyone sees me as just like the black stereotype, and like I don't know the movies. That movie's real weird, and it came out at a time when like parody movies were not good in the least at all. It got very lucky that it is mainly satirizing "She's All That," which is yeah. the least self-aware, most easily uh, made fun of movie <laughs> of all time, and each <laughs> subsequent year it becomes more so. I was on Twitter this morning and somebody posted a video of just a Clea Duvall's character mispronouncing the word posthumously. 
Mm. And it's just like every every time I go back and watch that movie, there's like one or two things I've never noticed before that are just so funny in hindsight and not in a good way. Like, the, uh, <laughs> you know, like the when they go to the prom and everybody knows this heavily choreographed dance. It is or isn't so good. Isn't, isn't Cisco like the the uh no Usher? Yes, Usher is like Usher. Usher plays like the exact same role as the DJ in Wet Hot American Summer. Like, he's just talking to himself. <laughs> it's not plugged into anything. He never interacts with any other character. <laughs> it was like he's like the he's like the radio lady from uh the Warriors, or he's just like and in, in, like instructing these teens at all times of the day. Um, about whatever is happening, but Cisco played a DJ in, or like the school announcer in a movie with uh the guy who played Archangel in the X Men movies. I mean, they, uh, were, they were rivals at the time. I just get the top forty station having people like call in and like vote Usher or Cisco and. Me, as a connoisseur of all things the thong song, thought that was a very easy decision <laughs> that, in hindsight, I regret. Uh, the movie the movie was called uh, Get Over It, and it starred uh, yes. Kirsten Dunst, Ben Foster, Melissa Sage Miller, I have no idea who that is, uh, Cisco, Mila Kunis, Zoe Zaldana's in it, Colin Hanks, like, <laughs> a whole bunch... Yeah, I was just like, there's a whole bunch of people in this movie that... Went on to do stuff, and this movie came out in 2001. God, it's like the B-side of Can't Hardly Wait. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm looking at the Metacritic page for Jimmy Eat World's Futures. There's a couple choice quotes that I find very fun. Um, Hit me. Uncut says, it's a kind of Joshua tree for the heavily pierced and mildly upset. (laughs) I like that. That's very good. Um, Pitchfork says, Futures is like a rotten onion, revealing layer upon layer of foulness. (laughs) Oi. Disagree. I think it is like an onion. I definitely (laughs) think as you peel it back, there's more and more. Um, Right. But, you know, in like the, the Shrek sense... (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna make a Shrek joke, but I was just like, I don't know if he's gonna make a Shrek joke. Look, we're all and... on the same page here. I feel. Yeah, yeah. I was, that's how many times has uh, each of us made a the middle joke? So... I think that's just been Brock. Ah! <laughs> I was I was trying not to call him out specifically. <laughs> Brock, if you Wait. make one more of those jokes, I'm gonna tell you to go to Heck, which is the last name of the people on the show, the middle. I just explain my own joke so I don't have to do it later. I was going to say, I, I would not have gotten that joke, and I would have just figured it was your fragile boy self not saying uh, swear words. Yeah, I thought I thought that this was supposed to lead to uh, how purgatory is in the middle sort of thing, but no, you, you meant heck. No. No. H star CK. Wow, <laughs> the censored heck. That's, that's as soft as language can get. Look, that show's not bad better than modern family i said it it is it is i don't understand like modern family was good for like one season and then they were just like hey what if we just made the same jokes over and over again 
It is All right, the only bye. sitcom it's on TV where the characters have actual problems. Right, yes. Definitely. It's, it's a good show. Yeah. Watch the middle. And listen <laughs> to the middle. This Probably is the world's like, third best track. <laughs> this has become such a weird series of plugs. I guess we're at the end. <laughs> we're probably at the end of the show. Zach, t- tell us, tell us what do you do? Tell us where where we can find you on the internet. I do everything and not nothing, Dawson. Um, I am at Zach Heltzel on everything. If you want to listen to me on podcasts where I do similar deep cut pop culture nonsense, you can listen to Zetus the podcast, the complete oral history of Disney Channel original movies. I hate- I hate uh, that so Rock much. Was on it's recently. so good. Um, I hate that name. <laughs> yes, the name's horrible. It's gonna end in like six months because I'm about to run out of movies. I, I can't believe you made it this stuff. far. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been doing it for about three years now. It's killing me inside. Uh, Brock was on recently to discuss Wizards of Waverly Place, the movie. We ended up talking oh. more about Tulip Fever than we did about the Wizards of Waverly Place. But, A movie um, that doesn't uh, exist. No, it does not. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, follow me on all the socials because I do fun things there. Uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, he covered. Uh, he's covered a few of the Disney original movies. Uh, Brutal Moose. He's done um, the Thirteenth Year. He did Smart House, and he did something else. But you should check those out because those are know those are really good. Smart House. Uh, uh, he says uh, it's Levar Burton. It's Levar Burton. <laughs> fascinating little tidbit that I just I bring it up at parties if anybody asks about my podcast which is the grossest thing that's ever come out of my mouth and uh, I'll just bring up like yeah LeVar Burton directed Smart House it's the only thing it's the, the most soft boy thing you could say at a party <laughs> look it's weird in LA how many people want to talk about podcasts it's disgusting everyone should stop uh uh, Brock, do you have anything coming up? No. Just, Are you sure you don't have another podcast coming up? Oh, yeah. Me and my wife have a podcast called Missouri Loves Company. You can subscribe to it right now. That's terrible, Brock. Okay, Zudis La Podcast. From, from one master pun maker to another. Like, Wow. I remember even as a kid hearing like all the fake language on the Xenon movies and just like dying on the inside. <laughs> like it, it just, and then I had, look, I, I was in youth group. I was in church youth group at the time. And like some of the girls I knew would say, would say it out loud. And I'm just like, this is, this is not voting well for my mental well being. Look, describing something you don't like as half tone major is I do it all the time. Because I'm obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, uh, Brock. You can find Brock on Twitter at Brock Wilbur. You can find me on Twitter at the Black Nerd. You can find our podcast on Twitter at Coolest Kids Pod. Uh, if you like the show, please rate the show and tell everyone about the show. Because if you don't know, podcasts like rise to the top from ratings. Not just like people listening, because uh, iTunes is a hellscape, and the the most popular podcast that get up there every week is just like somebody somebody's talking about Game of Thrones again. Yeah, us talking about emo is way better than that. 
It is. Like we don't need we don't need ten podcasts about everyone just being like, Well, what do you think's gonna happen on Game of Thrones next week? I bet somebody's gonna die. I bet so I bet somebody's gonna get stabbed a bunch and then a, then a zombie's gonna come and I hate that show. You gotta start anyway. bribing people. Back when I used to be on the charts, it's because I was constantly bribing people with t shirts. And right when I stopped, it just died. I can I can afford like the white like t shirts that you get from Walmart for like ten for like fifty cents. Yeah. Do that <laughs> right with some Sharpie. It's very DIY emo. Like bribe people with some effing t shirts, man. If you listen to the show, you get a free T-shirt, and then <laughs> Don't I'll do put this. an asterisk. <laughs> then I'll put an asterisk, and it's just like J- JPEG. You get a T-shirt, JPEG. How do you put an asterisk into audio? Uh, it just sounds. Just like say this. the word. Yeah, T- get a free T-shirt. Asterisk, asterisk, uh, JPEG. Oh, you just say it in the middle there, like that. Cheap though. Like, give them a bitmap. <laughs> Is bitmap even still like a file that we can use? It in is the on Microsoft Paint. Because sometimes what? I save something on MS Paint, like a screenshot, and then it ends up being like two megabytes. I'm like, what the hell happened? <laughs> oh, now it's, now it's a bitmoji map. Shut up. Gross. <laughs> I want to send you a bunch of terrible bitmojis just for saying that. Um... Spam Brock with bitmojis if you're listening. <laughs> Right, that. yeah. Don't, tweet, don't give them five stars on Apple Podcasts. Like, just spam Brock with bitmojis. <laughs> tweet, tweet at Brock Wilbur bitmojis. All right, I believe I believe we have to end this the show. This is the weirdest episode. I'm so glad I brought a friend on so a soft boy can bully me. <laughs> I believe I have to leave. Well, I have to end the show now because my dog is just staring me in the face. <laughs> Uh, Zach, thank you a whole bunch for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for introducing, reintroducing me to this uh, to this album. I'm sorry, I'm fighting my dog trying to clean his eyes because he has eye boogers in him. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Zach, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, and as always, we are the coolest kids, and we take what we can get. Thank you guys for listening. Bye.